We'd like to thank Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for helping to underwrite the Building Through Him podcast. In the last year alone, Notre Dame FCU served more than 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com. Hello, welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. And just so you know, you are always loved and always welcome here. We always like to start off with some funny stories because we just need some raw, real, authentic stuff going on in our life. So I'm just going to be honest that laundry is one of my struggles. Um, it's like never-ending. And sometimes I've just looked at the last few loads of laundry and just considered throwing them away because I'm not a detective or anything, but I'm pretty sure based upon the amount of laundry in my house that I do each week, that there are people living in my house that I have not yet met. It would not surprise me. It's gotten so bad sometimes that when I go to the dryer and I open it and I find the clothes are still a little bit damp, that I get like a little bit of a surge of joy. I'm not going to lie, like a surge of joy because it's like the dryer is com- procrastinating for me. I'm like, thank you, dryer. I have like a little bit more time before I have to actually address that load of clothes. And on the days that I feel like no one is there for me, I remember who is always there for me. Laundry. And Jesus, of course, right? Laundry and Jesus. Always there for me. And then if I am folding a load of clothes, I get such a deep satisfaction if every single sock has a mate. It's like, oh, I feel like I've won the lottery. Like, it's finally happened. The once-in-a-lifetime thing, every single sock has a mate. It's like a miracle. However, that's not the norm, right? It's not the norm. Every single load outside of the, like, once-in-a-lifetime ones, there's always some random sock that appears. And I'm, like, virtually positive uh, our dryer eats socks. And I was talking to one of my friends, and she's like, oh, that's the sock curse, if thou shall lose a sock in the dryer, it shall come back to life as a Tupperware lid that does not fit on any of your Tupperware containers. I'm like, yep, that's my life. Um, we laugh, otherwise we'll cry, right? We just laugh. We thank you, Lord, for all the clothes. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear Him. He has shown might with His arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry He has filled with good things, the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped Israel His servant, remembering His mercy, according to His promise to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His descendants forever. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we always talk about our foundation, right? We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. And as we pray more, like as the days go on and we continue to pray, we'll want to increase that amount, but a minimum of 10 minutes, no matter what's happening in our life. We go to church on Sunday, that's God's commandment, and then we're staying in a state of grace. And then we build ourselves, others, and the church. And we also remember our crown jewel strategy, that if you were a business, you would set goals, Right. You're more valuable than a business. You're the crown jewel of God's creation. So one day a week, we take time to plan. Then we do that plan. We reflect and we adjust. And at the end of each week, we're doing that planning again. So one hour a week, we set a certain day. It's great if it's the Sabbath because that's our day for rest and planning. But if you have to adjust your Sabbath, 
you know, that's fine too. But we're going to do that crown jewel strategy because we are the crown jewel of God's creation and we're worth it. So today we're talking about he loves me, he loves me not. So many of us as little kids back in the day, we used a very scientific way to determine whether our crush was interested in us. We took a flower and pulled off the petals one by one. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Whatever petal was left, we knew the empirical answer to the question of our crush's love for us, right? And we can actually fall into the same realm of superstition when it comes to God's love. I kept the house clean and made dinner every night this week. He loves me. I'm exhausted. My house is trashed. He loves me not. I had a really deep prayer life and went to Mass three days this week. He loves me. I really messed up this week. He loves me not. We seem to have more money than usual. He loves me. My car broke down. It will be a $2,500 repair. He loves me not. Often, we're so busy ripping off the petals that we don't realize God just desires us to accept and enjoy the beauty of the flower, our life, and the beauty of His love. And His love is constant and everlasting. This is Psalms 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love is everlasting. As we remember that God's love isn't based upon our GPA. It's not based upon how many kids we have. It's not based upon how many hours we volunteer. His love is not based on the cleanliness of our home. It's not based on the fact of whether we fold our towels in half or in thirds. Okay, This is very important if you know. <laughs> it's not based on any of those things. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, like so many of us do a lot of laundry. And part of like living this world, we have to be like honest with ourselves that none of us are completely caught up on laundry unless all our clothes are washed, folded, put away, and everyone's walking around naked, which is silly, right? But that's the only way we'll be caught up on laundry. And so we just don't even try. Like that's an unachievable goal, right? But laundry is kind of like, it is a weight in in our world. You know, one more thing that we have to do. And even back in this time before washers and dryers, women would have been keenly aware and burdened by laundry, right? And I bet back even in their day, the women were saying, why can't he just throw his tunic in the dirty laundry basket? Why must he leave the tunic next to the dirty laundry basket? And if you're a guy and you're like, what is she talking about? I'm just saying it is a huge conversation. The fact that our kids and the husbands sometimes can throw it so close to the dirty laundry basket, but it never gets in the dirty laundry basket. So if that's you, gentlemen, just surprise your wife and start putting it inside the dirty laundry basket. She will just be so shocked. So the way our clothes are folded doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter in our home. But it does matter in the tomb, right? Okay, so I'm about to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning, while it was still dark, and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there. 
and the cloth that has covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Why is there so much focus on the cloths and the tomb? Like, what is going on there? Have you ever thought, like, why are there so much focus on these cloths? Rolled up in one area, rolled up in another area. Like, who really cares about that, right? Who cares whether our, clothes, our towels are folded half or in thirds? Because there's clues in the cloths, okay? A lot of times, Scripture won't point out exactly what we're supposed to think. It will guide us to that if we spend time just kind of meditating on it. So let's think back to, like, a similar time. Who remembers when Lazarus was raised from the dead? His one sister was like, there will, you know, when they was like, Lazarus, open, open the tomb. And I think it was Martha who was like, there'll be a stench, Lord. No, you know, like she's worried about the smell. And Jesus is like, I'm not worried about the smell. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus came out with his hands tied and his face wrapped and someone had to untie him. Jesus had to ask someone to untie Lazarus. He had to say that, Okay. So we know, based on other evidence, when someone else was raised from the dead, he did not really rise of his own power, when someone else was raised from the dead, what happened there? So we know that the location of the burial cloths, where they find a resting position, matters. We also know that those cloths were applied heavily with myrrh, and they would have become attached to Jesus's broken skin, remember, because he went through the scourging and whatnot. His skin would have been very broken, and all that myrrh on those cloths that would have become attached. And so if his body was stolen, the robbers would not have taken the time to remove those burial cloths, right? They would have not taken the time to roll them up neatly. No way. These burial cloths are positioned in such a way that tell us Jesus rose from the dead and peacefully removed them himself. And we all have the moments when something bad happens and it can seem like Jesus is absent or we've been abandoned or left alone in the tomb. And we have to ask ourselves, do we immediately allow the negative thoughts and fears to take up residence in our mind? Do we go running and proclaim, the body's been stolen? Or do we scream in panic within the cave, he loves me not? Or do we pause with that flower and remember He loves me. He desires my peace. He loves me. He desires my joy. He loves me. Jesus is always there. He loves me. I know him. He loves me. Jesus is good. He loves me. I'm in the palm of his hand. It's from John chapter 10. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. Our faith must be trained. When we persevere in that silent expectation, when he seems absent, that is our faith training. And we can allow ourselves to enter into that darkness of the tomb without fear and doubt. When we're calm, in the midst of that darkness, like we're, we're calm, we have faith there, we can look around and see the signs of life and hope in the dark, and that deepens our faith. 
We know that we have a choice on which island we choose to reside. We can reside on the island of, He loves me not! Or on the island of God's love. But we cannot reside on both. And what we know about neuroscience is that it's impossible for the human brain to give praise or be grateful and to feel anxiety and fear at the same time. It's impossible. We cannot do both things at once. We can choose anxiety and fear or to give praise and be grateful, but not both. And even when we feel beat down, irritated, and overwhelmed or alone, we remember that God created us for joy. He created us for joy. He created us to live on the island of his love. He created us for that. It's in John 15, 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus says to us, the enemy will attempt to make us believe that God is not good, that he does not want our joy. And if we believe that lie, we can fall into living in fear. But brothers and sisters, Fear's a choice. You know, we're not talking about late at night where we're trying to get into our car really fast or whatever. They're not talking about like a dangerous situation. We're talking about regular fears that the enemy tries to whisper into our head. You know, like it's one of our kids is acting out and we're like, is he a serial killer? Is he going to end up in prison? You know, or if a certain bill comes up, it's like, oh, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay that? We're going to lose our house. We'll be bankrupt. We'll be homeless. Like fears that go out of control. So if you ever think like, oh, if you struggle with fear, just remember this acronym is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Fear is a decision to live on the island of, he loves me not. That's a decision to live on that island. My little boy Joseph, he's seven now, but when he was six, one of his older siblings had told him about African spiders the size of fire pits. And so he became obsessed with fire pit-sized spiders from Africa. And he kept asking about Africa, asking whether spiders could swim, all these different things. So finally, I get out a world map and I just like lay it out and I explain where Africa is and where we are and like how the Atlantic Ocean separates us and spiders cannot swim and there's no way they could go that far. And so he finally like gets peace with that and he's like, okay, okay. Then he keeps looking at the map and he he notices a country in green above the United States. And he says, what's this place? And I said, that's Canada. And he said, how big are their spiders? I was like, oh my gosh. God removed the African spider fear. And then Satan brought up another fear for him to entertain, the Canadian spider fear. And although this like is like a silly example, we can fall into this as well. We can. Even when God removes one fear, sometimes we'll hunt to find another one because we're used to living on that island of, he loves me not. We're used to living there. And perhaps this island is all we know, truly. Like, that's all we know. Maybe our entire family has inhabited the island of, he loves me not, for generations, Perhaps we want to live on the island if he lets me not. That's where we're comfortable. So what is the incentive to move island? Why, why would we want to like live on the island of God's love? Brothers and sisters, we were made for peace and joy. We were made for peace and joy. And God has miracles awaiting us. This is from Acts 5. 
many signs and wonders were done among the people at the hands of the apostles. Thus, they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one or another of them. A large number of people from the towns in the vicinity of Jerusalem also gathered, bringing the sick and those disturbed by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Not some, they were all cured. Let's just take a moment here. Not many were cured, all were cured. And just being in the shadow of Peter, what the heck, all right? Is this the same Peter who could not stay awake in the garden to pray with Jesus? Like Jesus kept asking, can you please stay awake? Can you please stay awake? Keep falling asleep. Yep, that's the same Peter. Is this the same Peter that denied Jesus three times before the cock crowed? Yep, that's the same Peter. Is this the same Peter that abandoned our Lord during his passion, during his most vulnerable time, just abandoned him and went and hid with most of the other apostles? Yep, that's the Peter. This Peter was weak. This Peter was a liar. This Peter was a coward. This Peter lived on the island of, he loves me not. How is it possible that a lying, weak, coward's shadow can heal all these sick people? The Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, Peter became the rock. He became a new creation. Peter accepted the Holy Spirit and was obedient to where the Spirit was leading him, to the island of God's love. And just like Peter, we have two choices, the island of he loves me not or the island of God's love. So let's look at those a little bit. Tell me about this island of he loves me not. Despair, hopelessness, unforgiveness. Fear, worry, anxiety, tension. The island of God's love. Hope, trust, peace, joy, rest. And we remember about neuroscience, it's impossible for the human brain to give praise and be grateful and feel anxiety or fear at the same time. We choose one or the other. So how do we get to the island of God's love? If we have been living in the, this fearful place for so long, like we're inhabitants of the island of he loves me not, like how do we get to this other island? Like you're like, I want to go there, Mary Jo, but how do I get there? We take a bridge, okay? We take a bridge. The, the bridge is our faith, right? The bridge is our faith. The handrails, like guiding us, making sure we don't fall off that bridge, is our obedience. And then the movement, us moving, is the Holy Spirit. So let's look at those for a second. So we discuss that faith, the faith in the dark, when Jesus seems absent. We don't panic. We pause. We remember his love. This is our faith, right? This is our bridge, okay? We look for the clues. We allow our faith to deepen. But what about obedience in the Holy Spirit? One of our Kingdom Builder mottos is abundance follows obedience. And we all want abundance, right? comes from following obedience. Well, let's listen to what Peter says. When Peter and the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin, these are the same ones who put Jesus to death. The Sanhedrin are telling the apostles, be quiet, stop talking about Jesus. And you know what their response was? Sorry, we must obey God rather than men. We are witnesses of these things, as is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him. God gives us an outpouring of the Holy Spirit when we obey. And what else does God say about those who obey Him? He says those who obey Him love Him. This is John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Jesus did not die and rise from the dead for only one of us, but for all of us. And he wants all of us on that island of his love. Because Jesus is not just a powerful creator. He's a joyful receiver. Not just a powerful creator, a joyful receiver. And he asks us a question and return to our petal picking. This is from the Gospel of John 21. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is so happy that we have chosen the island of God's love. And he's holding out this flower, our mission. And he asks us, do you love me? Will you accept this rose? Do we love him enough to go on mission and bring more people to the island? What about the people who are really wounded and really hard to love? Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? I think that's incredibly true. Then I want to add these ones to it. Loved people, love people. Healed people, heal people. Freed people, free people. So from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We are the healed, the freed, the loved, and we are being sent out. And so what does that look like? We're now residing on the island of God's love, and we're being sent out to bring more people there. What does that look like? So this is one example. So I'm going to talk about St. Damien of Malachi. Father Damien, he was ordained a priest on the island of Hawaii in the 1800s, and they had a forced quarantine of leprosy patients there to, like, this separate colony. And he had prayed every day that God would send him on mission, and he felt like God was sending him on mission to this leper colony. And he didn't have fear because he lived in that obedience to God, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to be poured into him. He knew Jesus did not die and rise from the dead for only one of us, but for all of us. And he longed for all to be on the island of God's love. So when he arrived on this island, he found the colony in horrific conditions. No one was caring for the sick. There was no shelter or food. No one was burying dead bodies. And so animals were eating rotten corpses and carrying them all around. And the lepers who were alive were barely surviving. And the ones who were well enough to actually move were displaying horrific and immoral behavior. Some visitors described it as walking in the gates of hell. And yet, he heard God asking him, Damien, do you love me? 
feed my lambs. The leper children broke his heart. So lambs are baby sheep, right? The leper children, like, broke his heart. One of the first patients visited when he got there was a young girl, and he had found worms that had eaten most of her side, and so he had to clean out all the worms and care for her. But he didn't just stop there with just, like, you know, the medical needs of the children. He also built schools and orphanages. But he was also tired, and he was lonely. He longed for another priest to come and assist him. He longed for another priest to come and hear his confession. He wrote for three years for a priest to come and hear his confession. And finally, his bishop came himself. And the ship, when it got close to the colony, the captain refused to dock or let the bishop off. He said, nope. And Damien heard that his bishop was here on a ship. And so he sailed the boat out to the ship. And he begged the captain to come on board so that he could have his confession heard. And the captain would not allow Father Damien to come on board. And so Father Damien asked the bishop for special permission to do a confession down by the boat and scream up to the top of that ship. So Father Damien screamed all his sins to the bishop who stood at the top of the ship so that the bishop could absolve him. God was talking to Damien, and Damien heard him. Damien, do you love me? Tend my sheep. So he continued to bring people to the island of God's love. He washed their disfigured bodies and bandaged their wounds. He taught them to farm, to raise animals, to play musical instruments, and to sing. He encouraged the lepers to help him in all his activities. And with their assistance, he built everything from cottages to coffins. He even battled the Hawaiian government for the care of these people. He faced so many struggles. He felt alone and overwhelmed, but he did not go screaming, He loves me not. He did not. He heard God saying, Damien, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Father Damien showed them God's love and their inherent dignity He brought them the sacraments. When doing the anointing of the sick, he struggled to know how to anoint someone because when a priest anoints, they anoint on the hands. But many of them, their hands had already fallen off. And so he had to write home to ask, like, how do I anoint someone who has no hands? And they said, just anoint as close as you can. He faced real battles and struggles in dealing with the government and and these people who needed God's love so much. There's a story that the organist that would play during the Mass, that one of them lost a hand, and so they brought in another organist who had also lost a hand, but the opposite hand. So they had two organists up there, and one played with the left hand, and the other one played with their right hand so that they could play the music together. You know, they didn't allow the battles or the struggles to defeat them. They worked together in unison to give God the glory. So under Father Damien's leadership, he restored the sense of dignity and joy, and it replaced the despair and lawlessness that once had identified the island of Malachi before. Father Damien accepted God's invitation to his mission, and he brought these broken people to the island of God's love. And in that darkness, he allowed his faith to grow deeper He allowed himself to see the clues in the tomb. Because although he was supposed to leave that colony after working there a short time, 
He kept praying, and he felt that his mission was to stay. He eventually contracted leprosy himself, um, and then he died. He served those people for 16 years, um, but he kept his prayer life strong and his devotion strong even when he was very sick. His love allowed the most unwanted men, children, his love allowed the most unwanted men, women, and children to know the island of God's love. And God desires that our love reach the most broken men, women, and children so that they too may know God's love. But God desires to love, heal, and free us first because we cannot give what we have not received. As we remember, loved people love people, healed people heal people, and freed people free people. And Jesus has seen the horrific living conditions on the island of He Loves Me Not. He has seen the wounds of anxiety, fear, worry, despair, eating away at His beloved children. And He desires to love, heal, and free us from that brutal island once and for all. And you know there's a secret to living on the island. There's a secret. And the secret is, God picked you. God picked you to live on the island, and he wants you there. If you're not driving, just invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. Just take a moment. Even if you're in the midst of cleaning or doing laundry, just take a moment just to sit and close your eyes. I want you to imagine Jesus smiling and slowly walking towards you, holding flowers. You can see the love in his eyes. You can see the delight in his smile. He has anticipated being with you today. He's coming closer, and you know that his love and delight for you has nothing to do with what you've done, but just because you are his beloved child, he longs to be close to you. He comes to you, and you see he's not holding a single flower, but an entire circle of flowers, and he's crowning you with the lay of his love. You don't need to pick any more petals. Jesus picked you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus, we come here today. We allow your love to pour into us. Heal us, Lord. Free us, Lord that we can go forth to proclaim your holy name. If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.